Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading is from Isaiah 6, 1 to 13. When I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please, let's respond by saying, thanks be to God. Isaiah 6, 1 to 13. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell these people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the hearts of these people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terabith and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. If you are watching with us for the first time, my name is Tomela Iwaju. I'm one of the shortest. I'm, what? I'm actually the shortest. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the shortest preacher. That's why they treat me this way. All right. Um, yeah, it's so good to have you, right? If, you've, if this has not happened before, right, just me standing before you, you've seen Pastor Femi, you've seen Emmanuel. Well, again, I'm glad to, I'm excited to um, be the one ministering to you this morning. Um, let us pray. Father, we thank you 
We thank you because you've not called Israel to call upon your name in vain. We thank you because when we gather, we have gathered to you. Your word says, unto the Lord shall the gathering of his people be. We have not come to meet Francis. We have not come to meet Delmo. We have not come to meet the music team. Lord, your people have not come to meet me. They have come to meet you. So, Lord, we ask, please show up. Please, minister, let my words, O oh God, not be the words of man, but let it be, O oh God, your own words in the name of Jesus. Let us hear. Let us receive. Let us act upon it. Let your word move us in the name of Jesus. Lord, we take charge of this place right now. We ask, O oh God, for every distraction. Um, Every imagination in the thoughts of mind, everything that wants to exalt itself above the knowledge of God, we ask, oh God, that you bring them down by your word. We ask, oh God, that your spirit will take liberty to move in our midst in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen. amen. All right. Um, once again, welcome. Um, the title of my sermon is Why You Don't Share the Gospel. Right, why you don't share the gospel? All right, I'm not just go straight for it. You see, um, I have a confession. Um, I've been preaching in City Church for over a year now, probably going, going to two years, and um, I've preached on various topics, right? Like prayer, right? And that wasn't so difficult because I pray, so like I have content, you understand? It's not. <laughs> Content day is not that, it's like you can talk about it. I've preached on receiving from God, you know, praying until something happens. There's just, I mean, that has happened to me too, so I have content, all right? And but somebody said, if you want to embarrass a Christian, ask him about his prayer life. If you want to embarrass him a little bit further, ask him when last he shared the gospel. This series, well, I feel embarrassed, actually. I feel a little bit scared, really, because I actually don't share the gospel the way I want to share the gospel. And I can imagine that most of you actually don't share the gospel the way you want to share the gospel. The question is why? I mean, it's not like we don't know that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel, but we find ourselves not doing it. It's not like they will come at me and say, you should be sharing the gospel, and you'll be like, I should? No, you know you should be sharing the gospel, but then we end up with excuses, various things that we've come up with to cope with our disobedience. Oh, it seems like, I mean, I had a bad day. The world is dying, I understand, but I had a bad day. There's no way I can begin to talk to another person about Jesus. Oh, my boss raised his voice at me this week. I mean, I'm not really in the mood, so I can't tell the Uber driver about Jesus, even though I can see that he doesn't know Jesus. Or maybe for it is that the system is just bad. Nigeria is not working. The government is bad. And so you rather spend about two hours talking about why Peter Obi should be president rather than spend two minutes talking about Jesus. Why? It is very, very awkward. Why don't we share the gospel? Or maybe your excuse is this. You know what, Tommy? I give to the church. I don't just give my money. I give my time. I give my service to the church. Again, there is nothing wrong with any of this. The only thing that is wrong with it is when you are using these things as an excuse for your own disobedience. 
Or maybe for you, it is, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I don't just give to the church. May I give to the world too. You know, I've taken my own a little, a little further. So I'm giving my time to the world. I'm giving my money to the world. I'm giving my services to the world. The only problem is this. The world doesn't absolutely need your time or attention. They've got people for that. They have HRs. They have therapists. They have secondary school counselors. They don't absolutely need you. Maybe for you it is, I'm giving my money to the world as well. But guess what? You will never be able to give as much as Bill Gates has given. They don't absolutely need us for our money. Oh, and it is the services. Don't even get me started on what NGOs are doing. We can't compete with them. But there is something that the world lacks that God has actually given to the church and only the church can supply it. Again, I am not saying that you don't give your time, your money, or your services to the world. I am saying that by the time it becomes an excuse to share the gospel, then there is a problem. Maybe this analogy is going to help you. So imagine there is a band, all right, and there is only one person that can play the piano. And another person is playing the syndrome, another person is playing the saxophone and stuff like that. What, 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 what we are doing is this. Imagine the piano. is the only one that can play it. But then he's busy competing with the set drum and actually playing the set drum. He has left his own post. He's busy competing with another person. Listen, the therapists are doing their jobs. The doctors are doing their jobs. The teachers, the NGOs, they are doing what they've been made to do. We, on the other hand, have been called to share the gospel. We are the only ones not playing the piano. So when the world hears music, it doesn't sound good. The band is playing, the saxophone is doing all it can, the violinist is doing what it can. And I will go play now, I'll go play, but we are silent. We are not sharing the gospel. Again, they don't need us, but there is own, there are things, there are problems that only the church can solve. There are needs that only the church, only the Christian can answer for, can answer to. So you find out that the world begins to seek for salvation at the end of a bear bottle. They are seeking for salvation in good sex. They are seeking for salvation with the government. That's why they're always angry. They're expecting the government to do for them what only God can do. But God has actually sent you. But yes, you are keeping your mouth shut. The great question to you is this. Why are you holding this message? Why are you not doing anything about it? Let me tell you why this, this, this sermon series is very, very important for us. Very, very important. Why you should listen to me? Why you should listen to everybody that comes here talking about this? You see, there are... Objects have attributes. Objects have characteristics. There are some characteristics that are so essential to particular objects. I want you to take them away. Well, they are essential, but I want you to take them away. The objects can still be called... That object, you, you, you get what I mean? But there's some other characteristics that if you take them away, you can't really call the object that object. For example, dogs bark. If, you, if a dog loses its ability to bark, it's still a dog. It just can't bark. What about um, humans? Humans walk. If a human being loses his or her ability to walk, he's still human. What about water? The chemical formula for water is what? H2O. Two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen. What happens if, paraventure, the atom of oxygen leaves? It becomes what? Hydrogen gas. 
the atom of oxygen is so essential to what water is that if it loses it, it can no longer be called or it can no longer be water. Another example, light. Light that doesn't shine. It's like... Doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't exist. A therapist that doesn't do therapy work. You are not a therapist. A doctor that doesn't... Treat patients. Well, you are not a doctor. A Christian who doesn't proclaim the Christ that he's supposed to be like. You are not really, like, we can't call you that. You can't be called that. We can't say we are Christians and not proclaim the gospel. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are what? The salt of where? Of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If salt loses its saltness, its powder is not, it's not, it's not salt anymore. Come on. If you, on the other hand, are not applying the saltiness that God has given you into the world, you can't be called a Christian. This is why you should pay attention. This is essential to who we are. You cannot lose this attribute of sharing the gospel and still claim to be a Christian. There is a need the world has. And God has given the answer to that to the church. If we don't respond to it, there is a big problem. It reminds me of Acts chapter 3, from verse 1 to 6. Can you project that for me? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Pause. So this guy was going to be put at the beautiful gate. But he had an ugly life. And this is the way the world actually is. Full of ugly lives standing before the beautiful creation of God. This guy was in a very, very serious predicament. The Bible says they will carry him to the beautiful gate and leave him there. And then they will go. You can imagine, maybe they bring him around 5 a.m. early in the morning so that nobody wanted to be identified with an ugly life sitting by the beautiful gate. So this guy was probably experiencing some form of social breakdown. But that wasn't it. He was also broke. He was there to beg. So he had some form of financial and economic breakdown. You understand what I'm saying? But then he was also lame. So he had a physical breakdown. And if it was in this 21st century, that already begin to affect his psyche. He had a psychological breakdown. Maybe that was already affecting his spiritual life. He doesn't even believe God existed anymore. He was expressing a what? A spiritual breakdown. And so this guy had numerous needs. But by the time Peter and John came, they said something. They said, silver and gold we do not have. But what we have, listen, they can give him money. Money is good. Amen? Poverty is bad. See, poverty is bad. Money is good. If they gave this guy money, that would solve some problems. Maybe some people begin to identify with him because now he's a rich guy. And now he's no longer begging. So if I solve his social problems or his financial problems, maybe to help his psychological problems a little bit. But he's still lame. Peter and John came. They said, see, money we don't get. We don't have. But what we have. What Peter and John didn't have was as real to them as what they had. See, if you don't have money, you know, you understand. When you don't have money, you know the way things are doing. It is real. But this other thing that they had, 
It was as real to them. They said, see, we might not have money. We might not have all the things. But what we have, we will give to you. See, Peter and John gave to that guy because they knew what they had was real. You are not giving to the world because you don't know that what you have is real. You don't. You don't. I remember one time when I was, when I was in university, mommy used to, for some reason, she used to send money to me on Fridays around 2 p.m. I don't understand why. And the bank closes by 4. Once the money, I, was, I also wasn't receiving a lot. For, I, don't, I can't remember why as well, but I remember this day. She sent the money around 2. I was broke, like there was nothing. But she told me, she said, the money has entered your bank account. That money in my bank account was real. It affected the way I was going to borrow money. <laughs> right? I mean, if you don't have money, if you have nothing, you go, bro, how far? How far? I beg. If you see, like 1K, you understand? Or 2K? Or 2K? Or gently? You know, that, you know there is nothing that's going to solve that problem, but it's just urgent. I'll return it very soon. But there was a way I was going to ask for the money if I knew there was money in my bank account. I was going to be like, that how far? If you see, like, you know, like, I don't even, like, if you mess up, I'm going to ask another person, I have the money. <laughs> Why? The money in my bank account was real, so I knew I could withdraw it and give it to him if the need arises. God has deposited certain things into the bank account of the church. We might have a sick world, but God has deposited a message of healing inside the bank account. We might have a dying world, but God has deposited a message of life in this bank account. What the church needs to do is get to that bank account, withdraw it, and give it to them. We might not have money like Bill Gates, but we have the message, the gospel that changes everything. We will give it to you. That is our role. That's our role. But for many of us, the gospel is like a concept. It's a nice idea. If you really think about it, it's really nice. Someone died for me. It's really cool, cool stuff. But God wants the gospel to be a reality to you. You see, the journey of the Christian is this swing between the gospel as a concept and the gospel as a reality. So maybe the gospel is a concept to you. So you read your Bible. You encounter God in a prayer meeting. You encounter God in a Sunday service. That pendulum begins to shift. It's on its way for the gospel to be right. But for many of us, it stands at this middle part here. So you know enough to feel guilty about not sharing the gospel, but you don't know enough to push you to actually share it. It's not yet real. Again, it's no longer a concept. That's what I'm talking about. You know, like, no, no, no. I'm in church. I'm sacrificing. Rain was falling. I came. So it's not a concept for me. Oh, it's not. It is real. Hey, but it's not that real because you're not sharing it. You're not sharing it. I pray for those of us here in the name of Jesus. By reason of this series, by reason of this sermon, for those of you that the gospel remains as a concept, you will have an encounter that will change that in the name of Jesus. For those of you, you are saying, Tommy, see, I understand. I want the gospel to be real, but I just feel weak. But Paul prayed for the Ephesians church in Ephesians chapter 3. He said that you'll be granted strength in your inner man by the Spirit of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray for you that the Spirit of God will come upon you, strengthen you, that the gospel will be a reality in your life. In the name of Jesus. See, for many of you, 
This is very, very important for us because the gospel has a concept that they can speak the right language. You understand what I'm saying? You can speak Christianese. You know, and if you're in church, if you're in city church, you know, you know the words we use. It's gospel-centered. You know, it's just, you're centered on the gospel. Or maybe if you attend other churches, this one, this one gets me every time. Like my here we stand. It's just saying principles of the kingdom. You know, it's just like, mm. you can say all of those things. But it's concerning your life that the Bible has written that you have the form of godliness. But you are denying the power thereof. If you know that this power can change the world, why are you not deploying it? You have denied it. And maybe you are saying, you know what? I, I, I get you. I get you. But I have a lot on my plate. My family is depending on me. My children are depending on me. The beggar down the road is depending on me. I have a lot of things in my mind. I do not have the, my boss is depending on me. Is that actually depending on me? That was a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. But, but I'm going through a lot. I, I cannot begin to share the gospel. No one reason why we don't share, why we work so hard, is because of uncertainty. You want to get to a point of certainty. You understand? So you try and tie things together. Like, I need to be certain. I need to be certain. And so you don't have the time to actually share. You see, Isaiah understands what you're, talk- what you're going through. He gets it. The text is in Isaiah chapter 6. Some of you are wondering, when will this guy get to the text? I'm there now. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 6. Now, just with background, Isaiah chapter 6 comes before Isaiah chapter 1. So the message here, yeah, the event, this was Isaiah's commissioning. So it happened before Isaiah chapter 1. But Isaiah intentionally put the message there and is now showing you why he's talking about those things, why he's preaching that way. And this is encouraging to you. Why? Isaiah wasn't born this way. He wasn't born a prophet. Something happened to him that changed him from being simply a covenant, a covenant, a member of God's covenant people to being a prophet of God. Something happened. He encountered something. And that's the encouragement. That, oh, if Isaiah encountered something that made him to start proclaiming the message of God, maybe I can also encounter it. May you encounter God in the name of Jesus. But then, so we're in the text, and in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And the question is, why are you, I mean, you can say, in the year 740 BC, I saw the Lord. No, no. in the year that King Uzziah died, it was the year that King Uzziah died. That was when I saw the Lord. Isaiah wants you to understand something. You see, for an Israelite, the worst thing that can happen to you is for the king to die. You remember Judges? And the evil that happened in the book of Judges, why? There was no king. So for Isaiah, this was a delicate time. Why? Because Uzziah was one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. Uzziah ruled for 52 years. He was an excellent guy. You see, the kingdom of Israel had split into two at the time, after Solomon's reign. So we had the northern tribes of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. This guy had only one tribe. Uzziah had only one tribe. The Bible says he worked so hard. The Bible says his fame, the fame of this guy, reached the gates of Egypt. He was an excellent guy. I feel like to say this to somebody. Uzziah had one tribe. 
Bible says because he was helped of the Lord, his fame reached the gates of Egypt. He had one tribe. It wasn't about Uzziah's location. It was about the God that was helping him. You might be here, you're saying, you know what, I need to change my career. My career is so small, stuff like that. Maybe God is saying, you know, it's not, it's not your career. It's me. If you ask for my help, I can still make you achieve the things that you need to achieve. Amen. Anyway, just back to the story. So Zion was doing great. He was an excellent guy. He was a great guy. He invested in the defense system of, of Israel at the time. He invested in agriculture. Things were going on fine. But the Bible says that Uzziah, pride, lift, pride came to his heart, and Uzziah passed his boundary. And then God struck him with leprosy. I remember I've read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, that sweet part of the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Excellent part. It's full of coups, stories of bravery, courage, and all this stuff. It gets to a point, when you get to the book of Kings, you begin to notice one thing. The Bible begins to say stuff like, in the fifth year of King something something's reign, King something something ruled, and what? And he did what was evil or good in the sight of the Lord. And so what, what, what you need to see is this, that when a king dies, most of the time there is no way for you to know how good the next king is going to be. And so if that king comes and he is bad, the spiritual atmosphere of Israel will be in trouble. The economic atmosphere of Israel will be in trouble. So if a king dies, again, Jotham was Uzziah's son and he was going to reign in the place of Uzziah. But there is no way for Isaiah to know that this guy is going to be a good guy. So Isaiah was in a place of some form of national uncertainty. He was experiencing boundaries. All he could see was that, man, this is a very uncertain moment. We don't know how Jotham is going to do. And it might look like, oh, man, we're already experiencing spiritual decay. And if we don't change this particular thing, Israel is going to be in serious trouble. So he himself was experiencing uncertainty. The last thing that Isaiah would have been thinking about was actually begin to proclaim any gospel to anybody. Maybe Isaiah would be thinking about the Jackman, you understand? Maybe go to Assyria or... Or wherever Canada was at the time, I suspect so. <laughs> I suspect it was really a good place too. Well, again, God, something happened to him. God had a plan for Isaiah. In the midst of Isaiah's uncertainty, God had a plan to move him from being simply a member to being an oracle for the living God. And that happened in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Yeah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So what God was showing to Isaiah was God was showing him, you know what, Isaiah, God was showing, God was showing Isaiah God's position and God's attributes. It is very, very important for you to see that by the time the vision started, God was not just walking to the throne because somebody stepped out of it. God had always been on the throne. Isaiah needed to see that even though it looked like the king of Israel was dead, the king of the world was still alive. Isaiah needed to see that even though it looks like this king had passed his boundary, there is a God that sits upon the throne and his glory fills the whole earth. The Bible said in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. This king has boundaries. I have no boundary. 
God revealed to Isaiah his position. But that wasn't all that God revealed to Isaiah. God revealed his attributes to him. The seraphs cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You see, for us in English language, we, when we want to do an exclamation mark, what do we do? Line, dot, right? But for the Jews in those days, they do emphasis by repetition, right? So you must have heard Jesus say, truly, truly. If you are KJV, you say what? Verily, verily. You must have heard. When Jesus was calling Saul, he said what? Saul, Saul. Referring to what? Emphasis. Nowhere in the Bible, I need to pay attention at this point, nowhere in the Bible, apart from this place in Revelation 4, is a word repeated three times. Not holy. Not holy, holy. But what? Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of us. Why? It is a love, love, which I, and this is what we would have loved to hear, isn't it? Like love, love, love. Oh God, right? That's what we want to hear. But no, the angel said, "Holy, holy, holy." Why? Why is this important? You see, many of us when we think about holiness, you simply think about moral purity. You get like, oh, that guy, that guy is holy, holy, and you've already given him emphasis. You understand? This is holy. <laughs> Holy, holy. But, for, for, but what the Bible teaches us is that the holiness of God is not just referring to his moral purity. It's referring to his separateness. His otherness. His being in a class all by himself. God's holiness defines his other attributes. God's love is not just love. It is a holy Love. It's not the love you have for your wife. It's not just the love you have for your kids. Yes, the Bible uses those analogies to try and explain something that is divine. But God's love is not just better than that. God's love is in a class all by itself. Or maybe it is mercy. God's love is not just merciful. It's not the way you forgive somebody and you have mercy on somebody. Yes, his mercy is not just better. His mercy is in a class all by itself. God's beauty. God's beauty is not just better than anything you would ever see. In fact, to compare God's beauty with anything in the entire world would be like an insult. Why? Because God's beauty is in a class all by itself. It's a holy beauty. And this is what the seraphim say. Seraphim, the seraph, the word seraph, the Hebrew word, the, uh, the meaning of the Hebrew word, actually the burning ones. These are the elite team. Of angels. No, it's, I mean, they are angels and then they are seraphims. You get what I mean? These guys are, they are, yeah. Angels that are lesser than them. When angels appear to you, you know the first thing they say to you? Fear not. He's like, no, 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 don't run, don't run, come, 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 come. <laughs> Why? Because, you see, when you just see them, you know, they don't need to talk. They don't need to talk. You just run away. Now think about their boss. Their boss looks at God and says, I, I, I dare not. 
it seems like they feel like if I see the holiness of God, I might intrude into private, God's privacy or something. It seems like if I, if I see the holiness of God, I might intrude upon perfection just by setting my eyes upon him. That's how holy God is. Separate in a class all by himself. The question then is this. Why is it important for Isaiah to see this? I mean, all these things is great. Like, it's really, really good. Why is it important for Isaiah to remember what I said? I said Isaiah was in a period of uncertainty. So the last thing he will be thinking about is to, is to preach or be an oracle for anybody. Isaiah, if he was going to minister to a certain people, God needed to first make sure that the limitations of those people were not his own limitations. So the people were concerned about the uncertainty. But God is going to send Isaiah to those people. God needed to show him something else. So all that Isaiah was seeing was the uncertainty of the monarchy. What God wanted to show him was the stability and certainty of his own theocracy over the world. And this is very, very important because if you are going to be able to save somebody, at least be out of the pit first. You get what I'm talking about? So there was no way that Isaiah was going to be functioning as a gospel sharer if he was still limited and all he could see was the reality of a failed monarchy, of a dead monarch. So God needed to change his location. God, you know what? It was like there was a boundary. It was like there was a limitation. So it was under this, there was a limitation. They just couldn't get beyond it. There was no way he was going to be able to break that spiritual darkness from below. So you know what God did? God separated him. God then elevated him by revelation, right? And then sent him back there so he can break it from above. Let me explain to you. Let me use an analogy for you. One of my friends. I'm from Elorian, all right? Proudly. Thank you. Thank you. I town. No, no, no. I what? <laughs> I city. I city. I city. Anyways, anyways. One of my friends from Elorian, he messaged me and was like, I want to do great stuff. I want to do great stuff in Elorian, boy. Don't laugh. But he said there was like, there was like, a, there was like a limit. He just couldn't pass it. He just, couldn't, he just couldn't get himself to pass it. In experience, in expertise and stuff like that. I said, you know what you need to do? Don't laugh. I said, come to Lagos. <laughs> I said, why? Because the limitations of Lagos are higher than the limitations of Elorin. So if you arise here, you can then go back because you've already passed this limitation. You can go back and then break it from above. That is what God actually does to people. Remember Joseph. God knew there was going to be a limitation of famine upon Canaan land. So in his providence, he sent Joseph to where? To Egypt, where he was going to rise above that famine. By the time the famine came, he then sent him back to actually break that thing from above. The same thing happened with Moses. As long as Moses was in Egypt, he was already limited by the same limitations of every other Israelite. So God in his providence sends him to Midian, reveals himself to him, and sends him back to spread, to break the spiritual darkness from above. Guess what? It is the same thing with Jesus. Jesus didn't come from below. He came from above, not limited by anything that we have. And then you broke our spiritual darkness. From where? From above. Because if he was simply a man, he would be limited just like us. But he wasn't just a man. Fully God. Fully man. Not limited by anything that we have. And so that's what God needed to do to Isaiah. That's what God was showing to us. I see that Isaiah, for you to be relevant here, you need to understand the operations of a different government. Isaiah, 
For you to be relevant, you need to understand that there is a different kingdom without limitations. That nothing can stand in your way, Isaiah, if you will proclaim this gospel. Guys, there is no sin too big, nobody too far gone. The gospel can get them. But it's not just important for Isaiah to see another realm. He must experience it. I mean, he saw it. That's, that's great. That's good. But he must experience it. So Isaiah sees the holiness of God. Maybe this, Yoruba people understand this better. And Isaiah was like, but you need that Misha. He's like, woe unto me. I am cursed. Because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And the Bible says, a seraph came with a coal and touched his lips. And told him, he said, your sins have been atoned for. Isaiah didn't just need to see another realm. He needed to experience the forgiveness coming from another realm. And this was what Isaiah was going to testify about. Because if Isaiah has not experienced it, cannot testify about it. Many of you might have been asking, why is it that it seems like the gospel was more effective in the time of the apostles? Listen to what the apostles said in 1 John chapter 1, from verse 1 to 2. Can you project it for me? 1 John 1, verse 1 to 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have what? Heard. Which we have what? Seen with our eyes. Which we have looked at and what? Our hands have handled. This thing is real to us. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Verse 2. The life appeared. We have seen it and what? Testify to it. Another version says, we bear witness to it. Have you ever asked yourself in Acts chapter 1 verse 6? The Bible says, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and shall be what? Witnesses to what? Something you have actually witnessed. Something you have actually experienced. You cannot witness about something you've actually not witnessed. You need to experience him. You need to, God needs to be real to you. In 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1 verse 16 to 18, Peter said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. This thing is not them say, them say, I was there. That's what Peter was saying. He received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majesty glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves. Yoruba, Emigogo. You feel? Me, we ourselves. Heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This thing was real to me. That was he was saying. Listen carefully. God has not called you to be a great reporter. God has called you to be a great witness. You can be a bad reporter, but don't be a bad witness. In fact, guess what? The best witnesses are actually very, very bad reporters. Because by the time you experience something, you think really, really shook and they say, talk about the same thing. Like, uh, it was just bad. He's a bad reporter. Why? Because he has experienced something. You do not need to have all the best answers. You do not need to be the best reporter. Be a good witness. There was a time in the book of John, Jesus healed a particular guy who was blind. And they came to be harassing the guy. Francis were harassing him, and they were like, Who healed you? Do this, do that. The guy says, and he said, I don't know. All I know is this I was blind. Now I see. He wasn't a reporter, he was a witness. See, 
I was dead. That's your testimony. But now I'm alive. They can ask you, you know what? When did the age of the world come? How did God create this? Talk to me about evolution. I do not know, but I know this. I was blind, but now I can see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was sick, but now I've been made whole. That is your witness. Amen. That is your witness. We do not need to have all the best answers. Get out of the way. Be a witness. Oh, I'm so worried. What if they ask me and, and I'll be like, I don't know. Uh, be a witness. Let the reality of God consume you. In Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah 20. Can you put Jeremiah 20 for me? All right, that's fine. I'll be here. Jeremiah said, when God became real to him, he said, but if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name. What did he say? His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shot up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. They can get to a point where God becomes so real to you. It's like fire in your bones. You can't, like, you just, you, you can't keep it in. That we get to points, like, like Paul got to in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, he said, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. Since what? Since I am compelled to preach. KJV, I love it. He said, Necessity is laid upon me to preach the gospel. Then he said, What? What to me? If I do not preach, it was like, this thing I've experienced is so real, I'd rather die than not talk about it. The question then becomes, how can the gospel be real to you? Because some of you are already wondering, like, okay, like, um, is there everybody that experienced what Isaiah experienced? I mean, there are just few people in the Bible that had these experiences, and you are correct. There are times where God used supernatural means to achieve supernatural purposes. But there are also times where God uses natural, seemingly natural means to achieve supernatural purposes. See, when I was talking, I, talk, I spoke to you about the gospel as a concept and the gospel as a reality, right? What many times needs to happen is, is this thing we call spiritual disciplines, means of grace, over time, will most likely, not most likely, will definitely move you to a point of the gospel being in reality. And you can say, what are spiritual disciplines? Read your Bible and pray every day. And you can go, duh. <laughs> I've already been doing that. I've been doing that all my life. And God is still not real to me. And the question I'm going to ask is this. Were you expecting him to? Like, do you go and read your Bible and you're like, God reveal yourself to me today, and that's why you're actually reading it. You see, expectation is very, very important. You might be reading your Bible. You can be doing all the right things, but if you don't expect to meet with God, somebody, somebody says something. So Isaiah met with God in the temple. Somebody said, Isaiah went to meet the Lord of hosts, but the last person he was, Isaiah went to the temple of the Lord of hosts, but the last person he thought he was going to meet was actually the Lord of hosts. When you were coming to church this morning, did you think, I'm going to meet God. And did you expect God to do something in your life? Because if you don't have expectations, nothing is going to happen. And it's very important. Remember Luke chapter 8, the woman with the issue of blood. Do you remember her? And the woman was there. Luke chapter 8 from verse 43. The woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. 
Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, Alpha. The people are crowding and pressing against you. Waiting they saw God. Like everybody is touching you. Jesus said, No. Somebody touched me. It is possible for everybody to be touching Jesus and only one person, only one person will experience God. Why? Only one person touched with an expectation. If you are not touching God with an expectation, you cannot receive anything from him. If you are not reading the Bible with an expectation, you cannot receive anything. God cannot be real to you there. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29, if you, you will find me, if you do what? If you seek me with all your heart, there are few promises that are just guaranteeing the Bible. This is one of them. You will find me if you seek me with all your heart. God will be real to you. No one who is seeking God will God turn away. It's not possible. So if you've been reading your Bible all your life and you've not experienced him, the question is, were you expecting to? Read your Bible with expectations. Pray with expectations. Come to church with expectations. Set alarm to remind you to come to church with expectations. I do it. 7 a.m., expect God to meet with you today because I forget. Use technology for your own good. Not every time Netflix and Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) So how do we actually preach and deliver the message? And we can learn this from Isaiah as well. How do we get to preach and deliver the message? You see, after Isaiah had that experience and the cold touched his his mouth, God told him the message he was supposed to deliver. And in verse 11, Isaiah said this, but... Isaiah 6 verse 11. Okay, I can just read it here. Then I said, Lord, how long? I mean, I've heard the message. I understand what I'm supposed to say. But how long? Then God described what was going to happen if he actually delivered the message to him. Many times you're not preaching because you don't understand what mission accomplished looks like. Can I say that again? You're not preaching. Because you don't, you don't know what mission accomplished looks like. Isaiah, ask for clarification. What does mission accomplished looks like, look like? Let me explain it to you before that. I've met people that are depressed, maybe because of circumstances or clinical depression. If you ask them, one of the, the, root, one of the things that is really at the root is this. They can't see what the things they are doing now can achieve. They just can't see anything in the future. And so they tend to freeze in the present. The reason why you are freezing now in sharing the gospel because you've forgotten what the gospel can actually do. And the way to solve that, brethren, don't just read your Bible. Read biographies. Read stories. Learn about people, ordinary people, who simply took this message and, and, and were able to achieve extraordinary things. That alone can make it, no, oh no, I can see what this gospel can do. I will keep on proclaiming it. Somebody reached out to me recently. He said, I was a drug addict, I was womanizing, I was just bad. Think about every bad thing. I was there. He said, I encountered God one day. He said, I've not touched any of those things till today. That alone made me feel like, eh? This gospel can achieve that. It can. It had a boost to me because I had heard, I can see now, oh, this is what mission accomplished. It's like somebody can be saved. A family can be saved. A woman can be saved. A child can be saved. This is what can happen. Lord, I can see. Then you then begin to share. Because mission accomplished is very, very good. But mission failure is critical. Very, like, it's terrible. There's a mission story I heard a long time ago. There was this woman, and she was... 
she felt that God was angry with her. And so she started sacrificing various stuff. She had lost all her money because she, her conscience just wouldn't let her go. She had one boy. True story. She had one child. And she felt, you know what, maybe if I give God what matters to me the most, maybe he will forgive me. And so she carries her son, her only son, and she drowns him. She was by the river still crying. And a missionary came. And he said, I came to tell you about Jesus. A God who will forgive you because he slaughtered his son. The lady said, if you were just here five minutes earlier, I wouldn't have had to slaughter my son because I just as you said, your God has slaughtered his own son. Maybe this analogy will drive it home. Abraham would have killed Isaac if he didn't receive a word that a lamb has been provided. Many times the world is, people are offering their lives on the altar of sex, on the altar of fame, on the altar of power, because the gospel, because we have kept our mouth shut and we've not told them that a lamb has been provided. You don't need to go that far. You don't need to kill yourself to get satisfied. You don't need to kill yourself to feel like you're in control. Somebody has done it for you. Mission failure can be very, very dangerous. But don't just see what the vision of mission accomplished looks like. Also, create an environment to actually share the gospel. Let me say that again. Create an environment to actually share the gospel. For starters, this is going to touch me too, but I'm going to say it, all right? You cannot keep on laughing at the same jokes that your non-Christian friends are laughing at and expect to tell them about the gospel. Why would they listen to you? You're in the same boat. Let me get in your face. You cannot be affected with the same problems and react the same way. Get nervous. Get anxious. Insult the government. Oh, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. How will they listen to you? Create an environment around yourself where people can hear the gospel from you. Do not just chat up that person once in three months. Don't do that. There is no way the person is going to listen to you. Create an environment around that. Let me give you a tip. Use the power of a like. Use the power of a like. Instagram, they post a picture. Like. Start from there. Just like it. Oh, this person is always posting really, really bad pictures. Really, really, they're just full of sin. They're complaining. I wish they were saved. First and foremost, like that picture first. Like it first. Comment on the photo. Promote their business. Over time, they will see that you don't just care about being right. You care about them. Create that environment around yourself. And it works. Guys, this thing works. I have two friends in this church, nursing mothers, that, have, that they are really, really good friends. Why? Because I just commented. Nursing, this happens with nursing mothers very, very well. Just tell them, your baby looks cute. Can I carry him? You are in. I promise you. You are in. No jokes. Works every time. Your baby is so cute. Can I, can I carry Then if you don't make matter, I say, I don't really know how to carry the baby. I come and come and help you. I just, just in. And you can then be like, Tommy, isn't this manipulation? Only if you don't care. 
Only if you don't care. I care about them. So, yeah. Care about the people. I want you guys to do this this week. Do it this week. That person that you don't like, you, you, you're already like, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't comment on that person's picture. That person, like that picture first. Give a comment. Go, baby girl, fire. Do that. <laughs> no jokes. Do it. No, listen, because if you do it first, then look, I'm not joking about this. There have been times when I have actually just comment, I just constantly, I don't talk to the person. I just like, 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 the day they have an issue, guess who they will call? Tommy. And because I had a problem, he's just very, very open to the gospel. I just be like, Jesus loves you. And he's like, he I'm not just like, come on, like, he does. Why? I like. The power of one like. Like a post. No joke. Just, I'm, I'm saying, do it this week. Like a post. Don't come back three months later to then say, I don't like the things you are posting. They won't listen to you. Why would they? Like the post first. Comment. I'm running up now. Like, and maybe you are here, you are saying, I hear what you are saying, you know, like God has to be real and stuff and we need to share the gospel. And that's, that's great. Very, very great. But you see, I struggle with sin. I mean, I get, God has to be, I get, I get, I get, I get, I get. But I can't proclaim the gospel because I myself. I mean, I, I'm, I've given my life to Jesus, so. But I have sin in me. As I understand you, you get it. I rushed over what I'm about to say earlier. So Isaiah sees the holiness of God. And unlike the seraphim, who was sinless, he had sin in him. And you can relate. The Bible says, if you say you have no sin, what do you do? You lie. The truth is nothing. You probably sinned before you got here this morning. So yes, you probably deserve judgment. Just as I was saying, say, woe unto me. Have you been in a situation where, a situation where you are trying to make somebody feel good by saying, Oh man, I really des I deserve I deserve that. And the person goes, yes, you did. Because you're expecting this person to say, oh yeah, maybe you don't be so hard on yourself. Isaiah was like, woe to me. God didn't go, nah, don't be so hard on yourself. He said, woe unto me. And the seraphim went to the fire <laughs> and was bringing it. And Isaiah would have seen that fire and he's like, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run to. It's like there's a car coming and you're just caught. You can't run and the car is down. That was how Isaiah was feeling. And the fire of God's judgment was coming to him. And the Bible said the coal touched his lip. And Seraphim said, your sins are atoned for. Atoned for? Atonement in the time of the Jews meant this, that if you have done something wrong, you carry a lamb and then you slaughter it and then you burn it. That was how to make atonement. So for the fire to be coming, the Bible says it was a live coal. 
That means that thing was already burning something before. That means for something to be born is something had been killed before. And so when the call got to Isaiah, it wasn't a call of God's judgment, but a call of God's mercy because a lamb had been slain for his sins. Do you understand this? That I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you have become. I don't care how how falling away you are. There is a lamb that has been slain for you. It was burnt outside the camp so that you can receive the word of the Lord saying to you, your sins have been atoned for. And then you can then say, I'm not qualified to proclaim the gospel. No, you're not. I am not qualified. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. But the qualifications, and this is what, this is what Isaiah experienced. This is what Isaiah saw. That the qualifications for proclaiming the gospel was not because you were perfect, but because you were forgiven. So when the devil comes to you and you're about to share the gospel and he says, you are a sinner, he says, yes, my qualification is not that I am perfect, it's that I am forgiven. My qualification is not that I am sinless, it's that I have been forgiven. My qualification is not that I do everything right, but somebody has done everything right on my behalf. Listen, church, you are qualified. In a very, very sick irony, what qualifies you is your sin because then you will receive God's forgiveness. All you need to do is repent and believe Him. Guys, sin doesn't stand a chance if God is real to us. The dark systems of this world, they don't stand a chance if God is real to us. See, um, addictions, depressions, um, sicknesses, none of them stand a chance. Listen, they lost the game before they started. If God is actually real to you, amen. Why don't you rise up on your feet and let's just pray to God together. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.